But as I was drawing closer to the, the hour tonight, I thought, you know what, I, I might want to just park the car for just a minute and address what's going on in B.C. for a second, because I've, I have found that there's some folks that are like freaking out over this, like the end of the world's coming. Um, and so I just let you know, you know, like I said a minute ago, a lot of that's drama, you know, as of this, as of the election that went on in Georgia, just politically, you know, just kind of common sense, kind of the dies cast. Uh, and so there's a lot of people that are disenfranchised in our country. Uh, and, and the reason, one of the reasons why is, is they're looking for solutions in places that will never provide it. Um, whether that's, uh, you know, racial solutions, whether that's economic solutions, whether that's whatever, you know, um, political solutions are not going to ever meet the, the, the desires of our hearts. And that doesn't mean there's not justification, as I said a minute ago, for people to protest and do their, their duties and citizen, you know, as citizens of this nation. you got every right to do that. You know, and but to put it in perspective as well, um, this is the United States of America, and if you have the opinion that this nation is just always in tranquility, you're ignorant of our history. So uh, it's never been a, a tranquil, just super, super easy go. There's always been friction from the first, from the revolution forward. So, um, and so there's, a, it's a, it's a, as they say, it's an experiment because. Freedom isn't free, um, and so you know that, that uh, in the Civil War, which is a much much more intense than what we're experiencing now, um, you know, as as uh, Abraham Lincoln said, it, they didn't even know if this thing was going to go, you know, if it was going to continue, and it was it wasn't even a hundred years old yet. <laughs> so, so uh, we've we've made it, and we've endured harder and much more difficult things than what was going on today. A lot of what you're seeing is, um, you know. It's not good. It's not good that people got killed. Uh, some poor lady got killed today. You know, there was a breach of security, uh, you know. But it is not the British, you know, burning down the, uh, the, the, um, the government buildings like they did in the uh, War of 1812, right? So we, we forget that. We've literally been invaded by foreign countries and had the Capitol buildings burnt down to the ground. So, uh, so those things have happened in the past. Did you guys know that? So, okay, good. So, it's not that. It's not that severe. Um, and so, we live in a time, I put a couple of verses up there, Proverbs 18 and verse 17. I, I just kind of to mention a few things that uh, came to mind. And I don't want to, again, I'd like to jump into Ephesians 6. And, uh, and I'd also like to dialogue if, if we need to. And if you're online you want to, you know, jump in, that's fine. Um, so, we'll have to get someone to, to kind of read the comments. But... Um, uh, Judges 18, or Proverbs 18. Let me go to Judges first because I'm there. Judges 21, verse 25. Um, this is a per, this verse appears over and over throughout the book of Judges, but this is the last mention. Um, I just read this the other day in my daily reading. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So there's a, is a very in the time of Judges. Um, Things were going kind of wonky, out of control, and there was a lot of confusion. And uh, so um, that's kind of where things are going in our country, a lot of confusion. A lot of people are confused. Uh, when there's no truth, you don't have a bearing. You don't have a, you don't have a pillar and a ground. Right? The Bible tells us that, that uh, the church, we're to be, Christians are to be salt and light, and, the, and we are the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth is God's word. Thy word is truth. So... As people drift away from the Word of God 
inevitably they're going to drift away from, um, you know, knowing what to do and knowing why things are happening and so on and so forth. So things are going to get a little crazy. Uh, also, I, I mentioned Proverbs 18 and verse 17. Um, and that verse in Judges, by the way, also is really, really goes well with uh, Revelation, the time in which we live, the church age in which we live. Revelation is, uh, you know, we look at Revelation chapter 3 and the, the seventh church of Laodicea. And um, does anybody know, what does Laodicea mean? The word itself? Okay, Ron, I know you'll know. Rights of the people. We've got to have someone other than Ron, though. So, rights of the people. And so this is a time when, you know, people want their rights, which is cool, but we live in a country with the Bill of Rights, right, all that. So, uh, but at the end of the day, what about God's rights? What's his right? Uh, a lot of people aren't considering what, what's right and, and going on and what's wrong and what God wants. And so the rights of the people uh, is, is really um, being manifest. People want what they want. And uh, the and and uh, some and they're justified oftentimes in what they're wanting. I just, but at the end of the day, like I said, the only thing that's going to satisfy people is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so in Proverbs chapter twenty one and verse twenty five, another verse that just kind of comes to mind is Proverbs twenty one twenty five. Says the desire. Um, wait a minute, that ain't right. Yeah, Proverbs eighteen seventeen. I'm doing my judges verse. Thank you. You guys had it right. I had it wrong. Thank you for that's what I need. Uh, a friend loveth at all eighteen seventeen. No, here he is. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. Now that's that's deep, man. Think about that. He that is first in his own cause uh, seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. You know what the Bible tells us in First Thessalonians chapter five? It says, "Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good." So there's a lot of things your people are hearing today in the media. Then there's spin on it, and you don't really know what's true. You don't really know what's a lie, you know. Um, and so you got to prove all things, and that takes time. Sometimes, time. Have you heard the saying, "Time proves all things"? Ultimately, everything will be proved out because Jesus Christ is going to set everything straight, and so you can count on that. Um, but there's a lot of confusion. And uh, I was thinking about another passage um, from James chapter 3. Turn over to James chapter 3 and look at verse uh, 16. Because, you know, when you want what you want, then um, you feel justified in whatever it takes to get it. Uh, and so, but your neighbor will, will come and search it out. People that are watching it will, and, and, and uh, those next to you will figure out if it's just or not. Now, Revelation 3.16, or James 3.16, I keep, I keep saying Revelation. You guys will have to pray for me. My brain is toast. Um, this was the same thing that happened to me the other night, or the other uh, Sunday morning. I was like, I couldn't get January out of my mouth. Okay, James 3.16, the Bible says, For where envy... And strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of envy, a lot of strife. Uh, people saying, you know what, why, why is everybody upset about, uh, you know, today's protest? They weren't upset about Antifa. They weren't upset about BLM. They weren't, you know, why aren't they, 
you know, why aren't they calling them a mom or whatever? You know, there's a lot of envy, a lot of strife, a lot of division, a lot of nation against, you know, people group against people group. Now, guys, that's not an accident. That is not an accident. And uh, it's so easy to get caught up in all of that. And so I would just encourage Christians to be smarter than that and wiser than that and to realize that all of, we're all, in Adam, we're all sinners, right? And, and that's what sinners do. And amen. And so... Um, so when it, where there's envy and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. Don't doubt there's a lot of evil work going on. And uh, I would also encourage you to think about what's going on in our country in the context of the Scripture and where we are in the times of, of history. This, too, will pass. This is, I don't think, this, this I don't know, this could erupt into some civil war. It may or may not. But at the end of the day, it isn't going to change the purpose of admission of God. Uh, we're going to keep trusting God. We're going to keep loving God, loving people, preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen uh, until Jesus comes. And so that's what we're going to be doing, you know, period. Um, and so, so okay, there's this, all this other storm going on. And I'm gonna, I want to touch on that, too, in just a minute. But understand that there's also, there is also principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness, which we're getting ready to get into in Ephesians 6. There's, there is changes coming. I mentioned just you know a few weeks ago, or back before we got into Ephesians, that that uh, you know Donald Trump is a key man in history in in regard to prophecy, in regard to moving the, the the capital, acknowledging the capital of Israel is Jerusalem and not Tel Aviv. That was that was big. That was that that was big. Like it was big that, that Harry Truman wrote, signed into into law. Israel is now you know the, the land of Palestine is the state of Israel. And boom, 1948. That was a big landmark in prophecy. Moving to the capital. It doesn't matter what you think of Donald Trump as a president, as a person. It's a, not, even, not, not even what I'm talking about. I don't care what you think about Nebuchadnezzar. I don't, think, I don't care what you think about Cyrus, king of Persia, or Darius. It doesn't matter what you think about those guys. God used those Gentile rulers in time to get his will and plan done. And so, so that's what is, there, that is going on. And also... The, the turbulence and the transition in power, we are told in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. It's not about a Donald Trump or a Joe Biden or a Democrat or a Republican. It, it isn't even about America altogether. It's actually about what God is doing in regard to allowing the Gentile nations to position themselves for whatever he has in store for the future because he's going to fulfill his plan. We got that prophecy locked in in Romans chapter 9 through 11. God is going to eventually get Israel where they need to go through tribulation. And before that tribulation, we get caught up in the air and get taken out of here. And so we need to understand that and know what time it is and be about the business that we're here to do, which is preach the gospel, make disciples, plant churches, and go around the world uh, as soon as we can. And uh, as soon as we get every opportunity to do that, we're going to do it. Because that's what we do. We go and we do what God tells us to do. All right, so so keep all that in mind. Amid the confusion and everything, it's easy to get distracted off of your mission and forget that God's in charge. And he's, he's jockeying things around. You know, you do your part. Uh, maybe you feel disenfranchised, you know, or maybe you feel joyful and now you feel like somebody's robbing your joy because you voted this way or that way, whatever. You know, all that is, that's fine. Have that, whatever you want. Deal with it, but deal with it biblically. And God is not the author of confusion. That's one thing you got to know. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 14, verse 33. God is not the author of confusion. Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 14 of, of 1 Corinthians, down in verse 33, the Bible says there, 
For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So, now, Paul is literally dealing with the strife that was going on within the body of Christ. I'm so thankful right now in our church, there's just, it's just tranquil in regard to strife. And, and uh, by God's grace, he's given us peace because people are dealing with their own sin. They're, dealing with, uh, they're, they're walking with the Lord. That's what it boils down to. When we get in our flesh, that people get envious. All the stuff that you see going on in our nation can happen in the context of a local church. It can also happen in the context of a family. Right? You see siblings get at odds. They're jealous over mom and dad. You know, someone passes away, and then they're fighting over the inheritance. I mean, how many, how many of we've seen all that? You know, if you've lived very long, you've seen all that happen. You know, and big brother, little brother, big sister, little sister, you love him more. You, love, you know, what happens is there's jealousy and there's, you know, all that contention that just like you see in a physical family, well, that also can erupt in a, in a, in a nation, you know. Because people feel jealous, they feel envy, and you know what? And then there's strife, and there's confusion, and there's every evil work. And then people are justifying bad behavior because they want what they want, right? Well, as Christians, Paul's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, right? This is the household of faith. Uh, you guys don't need to be arguing and fighting. You don't need to be. So he's going through all of 1 Corinthians, dealing with all this sin and this strife. Well, I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. And you know, I'm bringing in my four-course meal, and you don't have a four-course meal at the Lord's Supper, and it's all about what I can eat, you know, and, you know, just all this garbage that was going on. He's like, hey, stop it. The church is about peace, uh, and he says God is not the author of confusion. They had, they were, you know, they were messing up. They were, they were dealing with uh, uh, the tongues issue was confusion in the church. He deals with that. I said bad doctrine, bad teaching, bad application. All right, so the church needs to make sure that, that we represent him well. And so as you look at your own life and your own, your own personal life, you really can't afford to get too caught up in the dramas that go on politically in this world. I'm not saying you shouldn't be interested, you shouldn't vote, you shouldn't even be active. I don't care if you get active. That's great. Do it. You're a free citizen in America. Go do it. But don't get distracted with it is what I'm saying. Don't let that take you off course. Don't let that replace the joy that God gives you, the peace that God gives you, and certainly don't worry about the sky falling um, because you're in Christ's hands. The sky could technically fall any day, any moment, and you're still in his hands. You know, you don't know if an air, a 747 is going to drop out of the sky and land on your house any moment. You know, you just don't know. So you just got to trust the Lord, you know, and God will take, he's going to take care of you. Um, and so those are those are principles that you can, you can live by. And... Uh, but you also got to understand some issues of authority, I think, is another thing. And, guys, I did, this isn't like a, I wasn't meaning to go into a great deep study here. Just some things pop across my head. As I, like literally five minutes before I came out here, I was like, I'm just going to address a few of these things. Uh, in Romans chapter 13, uh, you guys know this verse. This is dealing with the powers that be as well. And it does tell you in verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And so that helps you settle the issue of the election, regardless of whether you agree with it, don't agree with it, think it was stolen, don't think it was stolen. At the end of the day, uh, if you've cast your vote and you've called your person in, in government, uh, you've done everything you can do, you, whatever, march on to Washington, whatever you need to do, as long as you're not breaking the windows yourself and going in and going over the line, um, and don't hurt anybody while you're doing it, then, okay, at the end of the day, God's in charge. Right? And he's ordained the powers that be. And so uh, whether it's the guy you chose or the gal you chose or not. So, so you get, get over it and submit to them. 
just like Jesus said, hey, this is Caesar's coin, then submit to Caesar. Right? Paul said, hey, if I'm worthy of death, kill me, Rome. And, uh, and so Paul was eventually executed by the Romans. Um, and uh, in the process, God used that for his glory. And Paul got to get out of earth card free and got, able, got out of this body into heaven. So praise God. You know, all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You just got to have an eternal mindset and know that Jesus is already one. So the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation for rulers and not a terror to good works. But to evil wilt thou then be afraid of the power, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So I already hear what some people are saying. Yeah, but Brian, they're not legitimate, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get it. Thomas Jefferson said the tree of liberty needs to be watered with the blood of the saints frequently. Uh, that is the founding, one of the founding fathers of this nation. And, and so there is definitely a propensity in our country to say, hey, that's enough. We're going to overthrow. You know, we just had people burning businesses down under with Marxist ideology. And so now, you, you know, so there's, this, there's this, this left, this right, this, all of this going on. I would just encourage you just to, to uh, you know, put all that in context and understand what time it is. Understand what time it is in the Bible. And, uh, and understand that the night is far spent. The day is at hand. And, man, it's time to get out the gospel. And that needs to be the primary preoccupation of every Christian that understands what time it is. Uh, not social justice. That's blasphemous to say that. But social justice... That's not going to come until Jesus is reigning and ruling on this earth, right? Uh, the only thing that, it wasn't just that Jesus Christ got crucified for our sins, but you know what? God used it to justify us. And that is the primary message this world needs to hear today. Uh, that in, in the most unjust thing that ever happened on this earth is what sprung us into eternal life. And so we need to, we need to really be uh, about that. We also need to understand the issues, which this is a little bit, meatier than just surface level Bible study, but we also have to understand, um, and I'll say this to pastors and people who like themselves to be mature Christians, that think themselves deep in the word. Okay, if you're deep in the word, then you've got to understand the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. How many, how, who can give me a definition of the differences between those? I'd like to hear someone other than me. I'll put you on the microphone. Anybody here? Other than Ray, uh, I may give it to Ray if nobody else will pop up. But I shouldn't have acknowledged you, Ray. Now nobody's going to pop up. Anybody else? Any D2 people, maybe? Kingdom of God, Kingdom of Heaven? Amy Joe? He's saying no. All right, Ray. Oh, Mark? Oh, no, he's like, no. Ray, do you want this? You got that one. Okay, Ray, give us a, give us a, a, a just a, a brief explanation about the distinctions between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of, kingdom of heaven was promised to the Jews and the kingdom of God was for the Gentiles. Close. Yeah, yeah, Ron. The kingdom of God is spiritual. It's not meat and drink, but pe peace, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Kingdom of heaven is, will be, I mean, they'll all, eventually they'll all be together, but the kingdom of heaven is the millennium, essentially the millennium, and it's given to the Jews. Administrate, very good. 
So uh, the first one was, was right, but, but Ron's being more specific. So the kingdom of God is spiritual. And if you take a Bible, a King James Bible, because uh, you'll start to lose the, the grip on it once you get out of the King James Bible in English. But if you take a King James Bible and you study the phrase kingdom of God, interestingly enough, it defines itself. The verse that Ron just quoted uh, in Luke deals with the kingdom, I believe it's in Luke. Oh, Romans 14, 17, right here where we are. Look over to chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so when you look up the references on the kingdom of God, there's also one in the New Testament, or in the Gospels, I should say, that gives a similar definition to the kingdom of God. It's spiritual. It's not, it can't be observed, it says. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's spiritual. Right? And so Jesus himself makes the distinction between this kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom, and the kingdom of heaven. Now, both were at hand. When Jesus was here on the earth, he was offering, he came to his own, he came to Israel. And, and if it wasn't for their rejection of him, they would have been stewarding you know, both of those kingdoms. Um, and Israel will still, that's what I mentioned Romans 9 through 11 earlier. Romans 9 through 11 is a... Uh, uh, Romans chapter 11 especially, is very clear that God will not, uh, that Israel's elect, and he is going to give Israel the, the promise that he, gave, he promised them. Abraham's seed, literally, will eventually, this is why, this is why uh, 1948 and then the recent 1918 uh, date of uh, Jerusalem becoming a nation, 1918, right, they, they were established as a nation, 1948, they took the promised land, in 2018, they got the capital acknowledged by the Gentile power of the world that it's going to be uh, Jerusalem. Okay, so all that's pertinent to, to prophecy, but it's also pertinent to this kingdom of heaven discussion. And when you think of heaven, you think of spiritual, but it's, it's really all the way through. Book of Matthew, it's very physical in, in nature. As a matter of fact, look over at Matthew 11 and verse 12. And then as you leave Matthew, a lot of your, if you look at commentaries, most of your commentary guys uh, are going to say, oh, well, they're the same thing. They're just the same thing. Just interchange them, no big deal. Uh, they're not the same thing. Um, and the reason that a lot of those commentary guys uh, do that is they're all millennial, uh, meaning that they believe that, you know, they take on the promises of Israel, uh, the priesthood of Israel, all that stuff. They, a lot of your uh, contemporary uh, Calvinists are like that, too. Um, they're like, hey, man, we're the Israel of God. God's not got anything to do with Israel. And they take on all that, erase all those details about the promises to Israel. They're all coming to us. How they do that? Well, they got to twist what elect means. They get you sidetracked over here dealing with things that God never even meant about elect over in Romans. And there's, you kind of miss, the, you miss the, the big, huge billboard that God's still going to fulfill his promises to Israel. Just read it in context. It's very clear. That's what Revelation's all about. That's what Daniel 70th week is all about. So all that's going to happen. And that's about the kingdom of God. Now, when the reason we're really specific about being spiritual is the only people that inherit the kingdom of God are the church. They're not Jew or Greek. They're new creatures. They're new creatures in Christ Jesus. The spiritual kingdom. Uh, so the kingdom of God, though it is administered by the, the Jews and will be administered by the Jews, right now it's been in it's been actually in turmoil since 606 B.C. when Israel was taken out of the promised land because of their idolatry by Nebuchadnezzar. 
And then, of course, it was at hand when the king showed up, Jesus, the rightful heir. Um, but then, of course, they rejected their king. So God's like, okay, I'll put this on hold for a couple thousand, and then uh, I'll come back to this later. And, uh, and that's about the time that we're at right now. And that's why it's so important you understand that. That's a lot. Like I said, that's not just a, that's not a, just a cursory read of the Bible. You kind of got to do some study. And, and uh, we teach all that in D2 and a lot of depth. And, and in HBI, we go deeper and all that. So uh, it's not, and Israel will, will definitely administrate the kingdom in the millennium. Ezekiel, the prophecies in Zechariah and Ezekiel will be fulfilled literally. Israel will reign and rule. What Jesus said will be happen literally in Matthew 24, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, will come to pass as well. All of that's going to happen. Um, thousand years. And at that time, Gentiles will be saved, but not like today, where we say, Jesus, come to my heart and save me. Their inheritance will not be the kingdom of God, but they also will find salvation through Israel as the administrators of the kingdom of heaven, which is what was being referred to earlier by Ron and, and Ray. And so it's not just given to the, quote, Gentiles. Uh, it's just that the, the, the church primarily is composed of Gentiles. It's not that just Gentiles are in the kingdom of God, because a lot of Gentiles are in the kingdom of darkness, and they're going to die and bust hell wide open, because they haven't received Jesus as their Messiah either. And some Jews will also be saved, right? And so uh, not all Jews, Hyman Appleman's in heaven, right? There's, there's plenty of Jews that have come to Christ, so primarily the bride of Christ is composed of Gentiles, and we see that in type in Ruth in the Old Testament, a Gentile bride redeemed by a Jewish kinsman redeemer. So there's a lot there, a whole lot of stuff. But I take you to, to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12 just to kind of to kind of help put your head around that. In Matthew 11 and verse 12, the Bible says, um, and, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John... And if you will receive it, this, this is Elias, and he's speaking of John the Baptist, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now this is Jesus saying, hey, listen, I need you to understand that the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. Uh, it was violently taken from Israel when? Oh, I just said it, so it should be 606 B.C. Up until 606 B.C., I mean, Judah was still in place, you know, I mean, we had Isaiah, we had Jeremiah. I mean, the writing was on the wall, literally, <laughs> in Daniel. The, the writing was on the wall. Well, of course, that was after 606 B.C. But anyway, but the writing for Israel was on the wall through the prophets. I mean, they made it clear, hey, it's over. God's done. Don't even think about it. You know, by the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's like, don't, just, just go with it now, man. Just go to Babylon and build your cities because uh, God's judgment's falling. But God took it by violence. Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he just, I mean, he wiped them out. And they, that's why they lamented. They get to the rivers of Babylon. They're crying. They're like, oh. So by force, it was taken. And then by force, right? So they put them in it with Cyrus. You go read Ezra and Nehemiah. They were troubled as they were trying to build the temple. They're troubled as they tried to build the walls. They're troubled uh, through the time of the Maccabees by the Romans and the Greeks, right? The Greeks and then the Romans. John, uh, 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 what's his name? Alexander the Great prophesied in Daniel. Rolls up. Another Gentile ruler prophesied in Daniel. Rolls up. And he says, hey, uh, I got a vision last night, and I, I, I don't think I should attack Jerusalem and take it over. Good call. He makes a deal with the Jews, so he leaves Jerusalem intact because God's got a plan for Jerusalem. And then later, in, later on, the Maccabees rise up against the Roman occupation. 
And then Jesus comes along and gives him, the king has shown up and the whole thing, you know, and, and, the, and the Romans are literally in his face going, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, thou sayest. You know, uh, the king was there. They just didn't want their king. And so in Acts chapter 7, as Israel as a nation rejects their king, finally the spiritual leaders reject their spiritual savior, then God's like, okay. And then we see that transition to what we have today as the church age. But God's not done with Israel. And so you just happen to live in like one of the most powerful Gentile powers in the earth right now, for now. But just don't, under, don't misunderstand that the powers of the earth are going to be transferred through great tribulation back to Jerusalem. And if there's coming a great peacemaker, Revelation 6, 1, 2, and the four horsemen that come after that, then you've got to have some turmoil. And Jesus already told us, when the kingdom of heaven is coming, it's coming with violence. There's a lot of things going on. I would, I would, I would let you know, that what we see all the day is not, again, drama. It's theater. Uh, they know this is, they're just going through the motions. Politicians placating 70 million plus people. Okay, they know where things are going. President keep trying to keep the movement alive. All that. It's all politics. It's American-centered. It's, it's about us. It's about our rights, all that other stuff. But what, what Christians need to do is step back and look at the big picture and go, oh, okay. The jostling of power in one of the most powerful nations in the world has probably got something to do. Is anybody dialing up Benjamin Netanyahu today to see what he's about? Anybody checking into why we're sending troops to the Middle East? Is anybody checking in on Syria? Is anybody checking in on what's going on in Istanbul? Right? Those are the things that are, are really stirring. And we probably don't even know about it because we're distracted watching this over here. Now, I don't expect your average person in America to even understand anything I just said. But for Christians, those are things that we ought to be thinking about. And, put, and that helps you kind of take step back, take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, yeah, God's got a plan. And in the meantime, we're here. So what do we do? We do what we're supposed to do. We keep preaching, keep doing what we're supposed to do. Let me pause right there. Is there any, any, any thoughts on that or questions or comments? Is this interesting? You guys? Okay. So let me give you a quick, quick prophecy in Daniel, just so you kind of can understand a little deeper. And again, I didn't, I just, guys, I'm just literally just taking this off of the top of my head stuff. But this is stuff that is, you, you know, this helps me, actually. This is how I keep myself focused, because I would probably be, I'd be, if I wasn't saved, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I'm afraid. What I don't know what I would do. I would, I would think the world is coming to an end. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be like, what is that? The two, per, two three percent are guys. Two or three percent of the patriots actually stood against the British Empire before the revolution. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'd want to be one of those small percentage guys. It's like ready to go. Go get them. But uh, praise the Lord, Jesus saved me, and now I'm working in another direction. So um, I got more wisdom now. In Daniel chapter 2, I said Daniel 9 probably. Daniel chapter 2, there's a prophecy. Actually, this is a vision that Nebuchadnezzar sees in a, in a dream, and he doesn't know. <laughs> he, he throws a curveball at all the magicians is what they're called in, in Babylon. This is after Israel's been violently removed. Now they're, they're in Babylon uh, the strongest nation uh, kingdom that's ever probably existed as far as political power because it was direct power, straight to Nebuchadnezzar, delegated, Romans 13 style. 
And then this, this, he dreams this image. And so he says, uh, he says uh, man, uh, I need these magicians to tell me what I dreamt and then what it means. And they're all like, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, nobody's ever asked. You tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it said. You're telling us, he's like, well, I'm going to kill all of you then because you're no good to me. You think Donald Trump was tough? Man, this guy, this guy's like, hey, I'm going to kill you all. And he was, so Daniel's like, whoa, 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 he hears about it. And he's counted as a magician or a wise man, a magi. And so he's like, wait, hold up. Give me a few days. Let me pray and fast. I'll, I'll get back with you. Okay. So he prays, he fasts. Hanani, Mishael, Azariah, they're all praying. They're, they're, oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, we need to know what the dream is, and we need to know the interpretation. So anyway, uh, the long story short, that's what happens. God gives Daniel both the dream uh, what it what it was, and he gives the interpretation. So he shows up in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, and he busted on him in chapter two of Daniel, and he and he tells him, "Hey, King, this is the dream. Look in verse thirty six. This is the dream, and uh, and we will tell the interpretation there before the king. Thou, O, o, o King, uh, art a king of kings. Notice the not the capital K. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, uh, with capital K." For the God of heaven hath given thee a <coughs> kingdom and power and strength and glory. Uh, let me pause at the end of that verse thirty-seven. Amy, Joe, can you can you get me a water? I'm a, I'm gonna cough pretty good here in a second. <clears throat> so ever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given in thine hand and hath made thee. Ruler over them all, thou art this head of gold. How many of you have seen this image before? This image, this is a big statue, you know, his arms usually like this, you know, head of gold. All right, so he lays out this image that he dreamt. Verse uh, 39, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. That's why I said he's the strongest, because every kingdom gets a little weaker. Uh, and another third kingdom of brass. Uh, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. Ooh, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and is subdued all things, and the iron that breaketh all things, this shall break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part, uh, part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Uh, and whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Oh boy, that's a heavy prophecy. Uh, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Ooh, verse 43 has to do with Ephesians 6 and iron mixing with clay there. That's a, thank you, honey. That's a, that's a serious prophecy about as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the, day, the sons of men. In the days of the Son of Man, not sons of men, in the days of the Son of Man. So anyway, I'm going to skip over that, but he says in verse 45, For as much uh, as thou sawest that the stone was, that was, uh, stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God hath made known to the king, what shall come to pass hereafter? And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on, upon his face and worshipped Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation of sweet odors unto him, 
And the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of secrets, seeing that thou couldst reveal this secret. And of course, that's when Daniel got exalted to be the chief uh, governor there, uh, right next to Bab- next to uh, above everybody else there in Babylon, right next to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So, okay, so um, you guys maybe know that story, maybe you don't. But what's that got to do with the price of tea in China and what's going on in Washington? I'm glad you asked. So, so what's going on, guys? Is that this is a this is a blueprint for for the the, king, the Gentile powers uh, that that when God wrestled the kingdom of God away from Israel and their dominion, though He's got a plan and a promise for them. He worked through these powers, starting with Nebuchadnezzar in 606 B.C. And then it, the, the next kingdom, uh, uh, the, the Medo-Persia the Medo kingdom came, that silver, after thee shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee. Uh, that was during the time of, of uh, both Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and so that's a fact of history. And then after that came Alexander the Great. The third kingdom was Greece, right, the brass. And it bore rule over all the earth king uh, uh, out of uh, up there out of uh, Macedonia uh, comes Alexander the Great. He rises up out of obscurity and becomes this incredible world leader. And as I've already mentioned, he he takes over the world and he takes over the 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 the, the Persians and the the Mede Empire and he takes over becomes a global leader. And of course, uh, stops in Jerusalem. Says, "Oh, we're going to leave that here." Why do you do that? Because God had a plan. And then, uh, then comes Rome. Rome comes in, and you guys know after that, and that, 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 that Roman power was consolidated just before the time of Christ. The Roman Empire, as we know it, was Caesar's. Julius Caesar uh, was killed, <clears throat> and then, um, I forget his name, but he consolidated the power there, Claudius Caesar, right, right as uh, Jesus came to the earth. So you have a you have a Roman leader who claims that he's God on earth, and then you have God on earth. How about that? One's sitting in a throne in Rome, and the other one's born in a manger in Bethlehem. Who was the true king? Jesus. Why didn't he just take over? Because his people weren't ready. The king was ready, but his people weren't. So God puts it on hold for 2,000 years. He tells us, oh, yeah, well, I'll just put this on hold, and I'm going to just go about doing what I do, and I'm going I'm I'm to establish the kingdom of God. Go through your New Testament after Acts and look for the, the phrase kingdom of heaven. You're not going to find it because the New Testament church ain't dealing with the kingdom of heaven. They're dealing with the kingdom of God, spiritual kingdom. That's why our inheritance is spiritual. We don't inherit Israel. We don't, we don't Matthew 5, we don't inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. A lot of your false teachings from the, teaching from the Roman Catholic Church through the Protestant lines, they're all going to teach you the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. No, Israel's going to inherit the earth. That's what's going to happen. He's dealing with Israel when he says that, number one, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. He's not talking to the church. Obviously, inspirationally, devotionally, there's all kinds of great stuff we can glean from Sermon on the Mount. But I'm saying, doctrinally, what that's dealing with is the constitution of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that will be established when Jesus returns. And he's going to administrate that kingdom through the nation of Israel. Mark it down. Uh, Right now, salvation... It's through Jesus Christ and his shed blood alone, neither Jew nor Greek, but a new creature, right? So after the church is taken up and God starts working toward Israel, well, then, yeah, there'll be Gentiles eventually that will come back around and go, okay, meek shall inherit the earth. I'm going to offer sacrifices. I'm going to do whatever I'm supposed to do. I'm going to honor the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God will bless all nations of the earth through his son, Israel. 
All right, so go to Romans chapter 9 real quick, or Romans chapter 11. So what goes on from here, I'm just fast forwarding the tape, is in, we get this prophecy that God gives us. I like to call it a prophecy because people don't see Romans as a prophecy, but it is a prophecy uh, in the sense that God tells us what he's going to do uh, through, through Paul. And, uh, and Paul's, he's all torqued around the axle in Romans 10. He's saying, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is they might be saved. He says it, Israel, Romans chapter 10. Uh, in verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What he's saying there, what Paul's saying in those first four verses is the problem with Israel is not that they aren't the stewards of the kingdom of heaven. It's not that they don't have promises that God's given them. That's all true. They have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is Jesus Christ. He is the end of the law for righteousness, Jesus Christ. So bottom line is, he's saying, man, they rejected me. They rejected Jesus. That's what he, Paul's saying. So it doesn't matter if you've got all these promises. If you reject the king, and his, then you're not going to get the promises of his kingdom. You're in time out. Okay, that's what chapter 10 is about. And then he lays out, you know, what we always go to on how to get saved, right? So whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Doesn't matter if you're Jew. Doesn't matter if you're Greek. When you acknowledge Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you bow your knee and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, uh, you get saved. That's it. He comes in your heart. You know, he saves you. He steals your soul to the day of redemption. Okay, so you get to chapter 11. And so Paul's like, he's tracking. He's like, okay, you're with me now. Then he says, I say then that God, uh, uh, hath God cast away his people? So he asks this question. So is God done with Israel? You know, like, like Rome would say, or like uh, a lot of our uh, Protestant brothers would say. Or is he done with Israel? Uh, look at his answer. What's he say in verse 1 of chapter 11? Yeah, Ron doesn't even have his Bible out. God forbid. How did you know that, Ron, just from memory? Hmm. Man, you're awesome. So, well, God's awesome, but that's amazing. So he goes, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And so he says, I'm a Jew just like you guys. I, I mean, I'm a Jew. I, I want the Jews to be successful, but no, God's not done with them. He's put them on hold. And I'm not going to read all this in detail for time's sake, but he comes down here into verse 5 and he says, Even so then, at this present time, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So your Calvinists are going to say, oh, see, that's the election. And they're going to get you off on some theological tangent that has nothing to do with the context. God is ta he's talking about Israel. They are the elect. God has a, has a plan. He has chosen them. They're chosen people. That's, by the way, that's what elect is. They were chosen by God. God's got, got a plan for them. And he says, uh, if by grace, then it is no more wor of works... Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So he, he's talking about the grace bestowed upon God's people, Israel. God is going to, in spite of their rebellion and, dis, and, and, uh, and, and disobedience, he is going to reserve the Jewish people. Now, in the first century, um, after 70 A.D., you might read Romans 11. I mean, I can understand why in uh, 1000 A.D. you're going, well, maybe he didn't mean that literally because <laughs> Israel's been wiped out, you know, and they're dispersed all over the world called diaspora, right? They're dispersed all over. So you might read that and go, well, maybe he didn't mean that literally. Guess what? He meant it literally. Take God's word literal until you cannot. 
And so a literal interpretation is exactly what he meant. That's how come 1918 was a big deal, 1948, 1968, and 2018, all those prophetic benchmarks. So, um, and they'd line up with what God's talk, Jesus talks about also in Matthew 24, which we're not going to get into tonight, but well, I will in a minute. I will mention something from there. So he says, what then, in verse 7, Israel hath not obtained that which uh, he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. All right, so let's stay in the context. He's saying that God has a plan for Israel, um, and, and he, they, uh, there's going to be a few that will, by God's grace, see it, but the rest are blinded, blinded, blinded. That's important. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now, guys, this is so important because when you look at Revelation chapter 3, what is the key element of the church right now? The Laodicean church, rights of the people. Blindness. They don't hear the shepherd. They don't hear him knocking, and they cannot see. So there's a great lesson here. When you look at Israel... As a church, right before the catching away, you need to really pay attention to what God... It's, it's amazing how... Some, that's why I'm, when I get done with my vision thing, I'll be back in Malachi because Mal, there's so many similarities between the church of Laodicea and the nation of Israel right, right before God goes silent. It's, it's, it's eerie. And so, man, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Listen to what God's saying. Listen to his word. God's word is being removed. There's coming a day. I would not be surprised if the Lord tarries another 30, 40 years. You're going to have a hard time coming up with one of these Oxford Wide Margin Bibles like I got. Or a King James Bible anywhere. We'll probably be printing them off our presses. Us in Milford, if we're allowed to. And so, I mean, the word of God. The word of God's Precious. Precious. And it'll just keep getting watered down and watered down and watered down because, God forbid, people figure out a literal interpretation of the Bible, how to rightly divide the word. They start looking into these prophecies. They start putting it together. And then they look at their watch and they go, well, good night. I ain't got time for what's going on in Washington. I got bigger fish to fry. Donald Trump, he's just, he's just a pawn. He don't even know what's going on. Hey, God's using him. Praise the Lord. God's using Biden. I'm not this in political. This is just what it is. They're just Gentiles. There's dogs. And God's just moving the puppets. But there's bigger fish to fry. Okay, let me get in the text here. I'm not going to get to Ephesians tonight. All right, so, so as it is written, verse 8, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back, uh, yeah, back alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Is that it for Israel? Uh uh-uh, God forbid. Now he said that again, God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. You know that verse that we see in uh, Isaiah 55, I believe it is? Line upon line, precept upon precept. We use that in our discipleship lessons to talk about Bible study. Great verse. What's that? Isaiah 55, 28? 28. What am I thinking of in 55? His ways aren't our ways. That's that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so Isaiah 28 uh, talks about line upon line, precept upon precept. But we often just stop there. If you keep going, it's actually talking about Israel. 
how line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, here a little, there a little. And then you go, go back and you stumble and you fall and are destroyed. Why? Because Jesus came and they were nitpicking over precept after precept. But when the word of God stood in front of them, they rejected the rock and they stumbled over the rock who was Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And so uh, now does that mean they're going to be destroyed forever? He's like, oh, no, they're not going to be destroyed forever. God forbid, um, he says, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy, which is what Ray was saying. It's going to the Gentiles through the kingdom of God. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them be the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Aha. Now, let me tell you something that is biblical and not political. You watch the leaders of this nation and how they respond to the nation of Israel. Israel's no saint. Don't get me wrong. You got to keep a hand on your wallet when you're dealing with that nation. All right. And so, but at the end of the day, it's a wise Gentile leader, whether it's the United States, India, Russia, it doesn't matter what Gentile nation you reside from. Jordan, King Hussein. King Hussein's a wise guy. Uh, you support Israel, God's going to bless you. That promise is there from the Old Testament till now. But one thing you can look at when you're dealing with, with election politics in America is what is the platform for Israel? Now, we're accused of being Zionists and freaks, and that's going to continue. There's, Vice has a whole documentary on it. I haven't watched it, but I got to see a little clip of it. And that's what they talk about, how a bunch of relig- right-wing religious radicals you know, are Zionists. And, and so there's, there's a conspiracy theory that, that all of this is a, a conspiracy going back to the early, late 1800s to the 1900s. And it's, you know, we just need to put Israel out of business, blah, blah, blah. Well, the Antichrist is, I mean, that's, that's what Hitler was saying too, right? That's already been tried, you know. Um, and that, that's old. But the reality is, is that God blesses those who bless Israel. And, and he goes on to say here that now, now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, right, uh, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness, for I speak to you Gentiles, insomuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. So we know Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the circumcision, meaning the Jews. And so Paul's expressed ministry primarily, though he was, he was to preach to kings, to Israel, in Acts chapter 9, and, uh, and uh, the Gentiles, his primary apostleship became to the Gentiles, and, and Peter's was to the circumcision, meaning the, the nation of Israel. And uh, that's, that's stated in more than one verse uh, in the New Testament. Um, it's also found, I believe, in, um, well, Acts 9.15 is where Paul gets his call, but uh, and First Peter also mentions that he was that Peter is the the uh, apostle of the circumcision. All right, so moving on, uh, he says in verse fourteen, if if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh, right? Those people that he has a heart's desire and prayer to see saved, his his brethren in Israel, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be shall the receiving of them be, but life from the dead? There's an Ezekiel uh, dry bones rising prophecy, and it's coming to Israel someday. God's going to resurrect them, all right? So he goes on to say, For if the casting away them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, but if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were graft in among them, and with them partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree... Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou uh, 
thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Uh, thou uh, wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I, that I might be grafted in. Well, uh, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. So he's actually warning Gentile believers. Hey, you need to understand some things, that God is God and he does what he wants with his nations. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell. Severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted in contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? He's like, if you were able to get into Christ through their fall and them getting cut off, well, how easy is it going to be for God to restore them again? Don't get too high-minded. That is the very judgment that is right now most, most of your mainline churches, even many Baptist ministers, are totally buying into that business that God has done with Israel. And all the promises of God are now at the church. We are the Israel of God. They're doing that because of Calvinism primarily among Baptists. And uh, that's the primary teaching, which, is, which leads you back to replacement theology, which is actually a Catholic doctrine. Um, and it's not, but that's all basically Reformed theology is, is reforming Catholic doctrine. So that's why they get caught up in that. Instead of Bible doctrine, what does the Bible say? All right, so moving on. Uh, and by the way, we're not reformers. We're not Protestants. We're Bible believers. So um, Protestants used to kill people like us until the, until the, the revolution in 1776, so, by the way. So what's, what's a church like ours got to look forward to if, uh, if, say, the Bill of Rights were to go away? Well, you look forward to a lot of fruit bearing because persecution is the... Is the uh, what do I call it? The miracle grow of the church. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, this is where I'm going. Verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. So now he's revealing something that uh, it's not mysterious to us because he's letting us know what it is. Lest thou should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part, right? Some will get saved. Some will get jealous and get saved, as he said. Uh, blindness in part has happened to Israel. How long? Until... The fullness of the Gentiles become in. Aha. So you got this fullness of the Gentiles, which isn't to be uh, confused with the times of the Gentiles. So there's coming a day when the, God's done with the Gentiles. And that day's going to come and he's going to catch up the church and we're out of here. And there's also a time of the Gentiles. That's already, that's going to, when the Antichrist comes to the scene, uh, that's going to be over. and He's going to be focusing solely on Israel. But we're getting close to that day. I say all that to say this. So I know this is kind of getting deep, uh, perhaps, but you got to take these things in consideration when you see turbulence and chaos and all of these things. Well, God is moving in history. This is a great time to be alive. It's a great time to preach the gospel. But you also got to understand a lot of people are blind, uh, Jew and Gentile alike, just like they were in the first century. They weren't, the Romans weren't particularly happy with Paul, nor were the Jews, <laughs> right? That's where you're going to end up before the catching away of the church, if you stick with the Bible. Because the Bible, it supersedes everything. The rights of the people, 
uh, God, we know what time it is. We know what God's doing. The fullness of the Gentile. Our job is to keep preaching the gospel until everyone gets saved, Jew or Gentile, but primarily Gentiles right now because we know what God's going to be doing with Israel. Verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion and deliver and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now he skips immediately to that day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, which we know because we got the completed Bible is at the end of Daniel's 70th week and all the prophecy in between that. So what, what I'm really saying is that as we get closer to this, this, the fulfillment of time and what God's doing with his church, you, you should expect a lot of turbulence. Now, after the catching of the way, you go back to Matthew 24, see what Jesus says. Just He gives a little cliff note version of some of what's going to be coming in the coming tribulation in Matthew 24. And uh, <clears throat> he says here... Uh, he talks about the beginning of sorrows, and then he talks about great tribulation. It'll come uh, after the Antichrist arises and the abomination of desolations. But he, one of the things I think is important to point out here is, uh, is uh, in verse 7, he says, For nations shall rise against nation. This is Jesus. And kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted shall kill you and shall be hated of the nations for my name's sake. Now, in verse 8 and 9, who's he talking to? Who? Believers at that time would be who? He hasn't gone to the cross. So he's talking to the Jews. He's talking to his disciples. But he's also talking, this is a Jewish context. So, just so you know, this is dealing with, I just want people to know, he's dealing with the coming tribulation time. This is First three and a half years, uh, the beginning of sorrows. Because there's going to come a peacemaker named, uh, and his, he's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to, Revelation 6, when he's going to bring the catching away, the church will come, Revelation 4, Revelation 6. This white horse rider will come in, and it won't be Jesus, but he's going to come as though he is a savior. And you can't be a savior unless there's something to save. The world is going to be in turmoil, it's going to be in chaos, it's going to be confusing. And then after he gets in, it gets worse. And you find that a third and a third and a third and all this stuff happens. It looks like a, it looks like the tribulation. It almost looks like the vials are being poured out, but it's not. Because it's only a third of the earth, like a third of the angels, a third of the waters, a third, a third, a third. And that's just to set him up so he can step on the scene after a head wound as being the Christ. That is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So there's a political rise and then there's a religious rise. Just like in Revelation 17 as a political kingdom and then in revelation 18 is the religious kingdom of babylon mystery religion he's got a bride just like jesus has a bride everything that jesus does he emulates and is a ripoff and so as in the days of noah right there's going to be a lot of hardness toward god there's going to be a lot of a lot of things that going on in the future uh, much worse than what you're seeing today on the news so relax <laughs> a little bit uh and know that hey Seize the day. Seize the opportunity. Preach the gospel while you have time. But, but beloved, be careful. Be careful, because you've got to know what time it is. Uh, it is time to preach the gospel. It is time to know that the night is far spent, man. The day is at hand. Jesus is coming, and we need to be preaching the gospel while we have opportunity. We're children of the day, not children of the night, and we need to be about God's business. So uh, let me, let me uh, another thing that we should do is know Satan's devices. 2 Corinthians chapter. 2 and verse 11, it tells us that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. So don't, be, don't get foolish and get caught up in a lot of the drama uh, that's going on. 
uh, this this year has kind of been a good primer to help people kind of get Christians anyway get used to that. Paul said in verse 10 of Second Corinthians 2, he says, To whom you, you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I gave, forgave anything to whom I forgave it, uh, for your sakes, forgive I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Okay, so what is the context of that? What is Paul talking about in Second Corinthians 2? What's he talking about forgiving? This is practical. I went way deep. Now we're going to get back up here to the, the ocean on the beach here and get something we can walk away with. Just the context is, some of you guys in HBI, right? You just went through Corinthians, I think. So what what is what is Paul really talking about forgiving? What was the big sin that he's dealing with there? Remember in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, there was a terrible issue of fornication. Anybody remember what that was about? I'm sorry? Father's. Father's wife. That's even worse. Brother's wife is bad. Dad's wife? Messed up. So uh, Belinda was saying that a man had his father's wife in a sexual way. And it was open. So the church was saying, grace unto it. You know? And Paul's like, God forbid. Judge that thing. Take them out. The whole world's laughing at you. Get them out of the church and pray that, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his soul may be saved in the day of judgment. So that's exactly what they did. The guy comes back, he repents. Paul's like, praise the Lord. And he tells him, he's like, hey, you know what? I forgive, you guys forgive him? I forgive him, it's all good. This heinous type of thing that was a big reproach. He's like, forgiveness, no problem. I bring that up because the key to what we need in, the, in, the, in, your, in your personal life, in the church body, then in the nation in which we happen to be responsible to, to govern and be a part of as far as this wonderful nation. By the way, America is the greatest Gentile nation. I'm a little biased, but it is the greatest Gentile nation that's existed, in my opinion. Because, you know, you say in God we trust, God might hold you accountable to that, by the way. Um, so that's why I made those strong statements I made Sunday. Because you can't just act like God doesn't exist after you've used his and his name to get yourself started. And so... Uh, there's judgment that comes when we act like that. But at any rate, that all aside, as far as experiments in human government, this has been a great one. Um, at the end of the day, though, forgiveness. Man, that's lacking. And where are you going to find that kind of forgiveness? Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's easy for me to say, standing here behind the pulpit, I'm the preacher, I'm supposed to say that someone rolls down the street and burns down my business, I may not feel like forgiving them. Right? Some of the atrocities that go on, man, it's hard to forgive, isn't it? Because what do you want? What do you really want? Starts with a J. Justice. And there's a ton of people right now that feel disenfranchised. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your... Your background, rich, poor, a lot of people feel like there's a lot of injustice going on. And what the biggest injustice is in the world right now, most people don't even realize it. People are being robbed of their soul. They don't even know it. They think it's wealth. They think it's opportunity. You haven't been to India. 
who think America's rough, let them take you somewhere where it's really rough. I was thinking about that today, how upset a lot of Americans are. Man, this is the best place in the world. To, every time I come home from a missions trip, I'm under my hot water spout in my shower. I'm like, praise God. I come home to my house. I left thinking, man, I need to remodel. I need to build on the back. I need to move. I need to upgrade. I come back, and I'm like, man, God, I thank you for this mansion I got here. Thank you, Jesus. True. Isn't that right, Amy? I tell Amy that all the time. She, I need to get out of the country every so often just to get myself adjusted. So I realized that, whoa, man, God has blessed the USA. But we so quickly, man, we want justice. Rights of the people. But what we really need to remember is we got forgiveness. Everybody wants justice until they're the one that's on trial. Then they want mercy. When you're, on the, when you're the guy on trial, all of a sudden, justice is not what you want. You want mercy. And our job as Christians is to highlight that truth I just said. You know what? Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And when you're before him, you don't really want justice. You want mercy. And you better be thankful. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, if you want his forgiveness, you better be willing to forgive others. Amen? Amen. We need a lot more of that. You can't get that outside of the church. You ain't going to get that over here at the, the political rally. You're not going to get that anywhere else but with Jesus Christ himself because he's the only one that has that kind of grace and goodness and forgiveness. I mean, he's amazing. Amazing grace. It ain't just a song. I mean, it's so awesome. And so Paul, he's saying that. He's like, we know his devices. But the core of what Paul's talking about is that envy, Every evil work, confusion. No, he's, saying, he's saying, guys, we got to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean you don't deal with sin. And some things aren't just. But Jesus Christ, he sets it straight. Paul said that. He's going to come back. He's going to set it all straight. You leave the judgment to God. And you do your thing. You do what's right. And uh, God will take care of the rest. Now, I'm going to wrap up on this you know, in, in Mark 4, let's just stop. We'll end here. Is there any, as I'm turning there, uh, any comments or questions or anything? I, I, I kind of, I forgive me if you came to wa- listen to Ephesians 6. I was all, I'm, I mean, I am ready for Ephesians 6, by the way. And I hope this wasn't a wrong turn tonight um, because I, got, I got, got the goods on Ephesians 6. So just come back next week and we'll pick it up. But, um, uh, but I want you to just, just, just kind of bear with me one more moment here. In, the, in Mark chapter 4, um, did I say Mark? Uh, I think that's, yeah, Mark 4. Jesus is with his disciples. And uh, you guys know this story, so it's not like you haven't heard this. Notice what he says in verse 26. I'm going to jump down to verse 35. But he says, and he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast a seed into the ground and should sleep and rise uh, <coughs> sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up and he knoweth not how that's how the kingdom of god is how's the kingdom of god work it's 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 amazing you just sow the word of god and god brings fruit this church is an example of that it's amazing praise god all right so jesus is he's telling that he's he's teaching he's teaching about the mustard seed he's teaching about all this stuff and he gets down to verse 30 um 30 and he says and and he said we're unto them, uh, we liken the kingdom of God, or, or what is the comparison? Shall, um, shall we uh, compare it 
It's like a grain of mustard seed, which is when it's sown in the earth, um, is less than all the seeds of the, that be in the earth. But when it's sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs and shooteth out of the great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake the word unto them as they were able to bear it, or hear it, I'm sorry. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things unto his disciples. Because Israel was getting hard of hearing. So he quit telling them straight, started telling them stories. Then he would tell his disciples on the side. All right, verse 35. And the same day when uh, the even was come, about six o'clock when the sun set, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away a multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a little storm of wind and waves and beat, or I'm sorry, I said a little. And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and they say unto him, Master, carest not thou that we perish? And then look what happened. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto them, under the sea, I'm sorry, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said unto them, why are, thou, why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, you've all heard, we've all heard this before, but, you know, when in times like this, uh, it's, it's good to remember Jesus said, We're going to the other side. And fellowship, we're all in the same ship. You need fellowship. There's, no, there's, no, there's a reason the devil has attacked fellowship, assembling together on the first day of the week. Because it's the last thing the devil wants for the church. Because we will get to the other side. Christians of all people should not be in despair. We, all we have is hope. All we have is victory. We don't even have a negative thing other than, you know, missing our opportunity to celebrate that Jesus has already won. I mean, that literally is our job, is to celebrate that we are already victorious. If you can get your head around that, you are a cheerleader for Jesus until you get out of here. From the first day of your salvation, no matter how difficult it gets, your job is to cheer through all the pain and then get to the other side and get rewarded. I mean, that's, that's really what it is because Jesus has already paid the way. And you receive the gift of eternal life, man. It is all, it's all good. I mean, it is awesome. So, man, the reality is, though, sometimes things happen and you get freaked out, feel like the sky's going to fall. Maybe it's not the political storm. Maybe it's a personal storm. Maybe it's some other thing. But just remember, he's with you. He says, lo, I will be with you always, even till the end of the world, Matthew chapter 28. And so he's with you. He's with you always. He's going to get you to the other side. The issue is faith. Be not faithless, but believing. Remember, remember Thomas, man, he was doubting. He was mad because things didn't go the way he wanted to go. You know, John 11, Matt, John, Thomas is like, hey, let's go die with Jesus, man. He's going to travel over there to, to see Lazarus, and they're out to kill us. Let's just go die with Jesus today. I mean, this guy's no joke. He's serious. He's all in. He's a man. 
But when everything goes haywire and it doesn't go down the way, he, he was expecting Jesus to come back as the king and rule that kingdom of heaven politically. So was Peter. Right? And all those boys were disappointed because the kingdom didn't just go the way they thought it was supposed to go. Maybe there's people like that with the election. It didn't go the way you thought it would go. Well, you know what? Just wait and see what Jesus is going to do and obey him. You know, it, it took Peter so off course, he quit feeding the sheep. He quit feeding the lambs. He got all off, out of track, all off track. And God had to sit him down at a meal and say, focus, grasshopper. That's a contemporary version. Focus, grasshopper. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Same thing with, with Thomas, right? Put your hands in the word. Literally, put your fingers. Look at me. I'm here with you. What do you got to worry about? And of course, both of them were broke. And whatever animosity they had in their heart toward God, because things weren't going the way that they wanted them to go, melted away. And they said, God, just use me. Just use me. Beloved, that's all we need right now. We just need to be usable. And let go of whatever it is that's clogging up your heart and your spiritual arteries. And, and take the eye, the eye salve and rub it on your eyes so you can see. And listen to that voice that's calling his sheep. And follow him. Feed the lambs. Feed the sheep. Do what's right in front of you. There are so many people right now that are freaking out. And all they need is a simple gospel message. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, he rose again the third day, and he is coming back soon to settle all this score. So why don't you settle your score with him now? So you're ready at his appearing. You don't want to face his judgment, so why don't you receive his mercy? Because the light of the gospel is clear as a bell. There's only one just man, and he's the justifier. And, he's, and I'll tell you what, if you don't receive him now and bow it, you'll receive him later. And now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. If you're joining me online or you're in the house and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to make quick work of getting to know him. And you need, to, you need to meet him and he needs to become your Lord and Savior because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Thank you for your time tonight. Uh, if there's any questions, I guess nobody brought any in on the, on the line tonight or any comments, so that's cool. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up in here? Anybody have any comments or questions? Or all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father.